أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد Welcome to another episode of our tafsir page by page and inshallah ta'ala today we are on page number 31 which is the second juz surah al-Baqarah in the previous episode, we had begun the passage now in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was speaking about the hajj and the umrah, and in particular some of the restrictions or regulations and laws uh, regarding this pilgrimage, uh, in particular the hajj. And in on page number 31 in today's episode, we will continue speaking about a number of those commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regards to the hajj. The hajj, as we know, is one of the five pillars of Islam and it has a an amazing position in this religion at least because it is something which Allah Azza wa Jal due to its uh, you know due to how uh, major this act of worship is and the amount of time it takes and the sacrifice both financial and physical that is required it is something which Allah Azza wa Jal only obligated once in a lifetime and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is also from the obligations of Islam that was legislated towards the very end of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in fact, the Prophet ﷺ only ever performed one hajj himself before he passed away ﷺ, and that was a mere few months before his passing ﷺ. However, hajj is one of the most amazing acts of worship. It is an act of worship that includes the financial as well as the physical. It is an act of worship that requires people to travel and people to move from one location to another. And it is an act of worship that has so many other acts of worship within it itself. So there's elements of fasting, there's elements of charity, there's elements of prayer, there's elements of dua. There are so many different acts of worship that are combined within this one great act of worship of pilgrimage. In verse number 197, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this page by saying, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم الحج أشهر معلومات The pilgrimage takes place during the prescribed months. The prescribed months of hajj are the months that come after the month of Ramadan, the three months which are the month of Shawwal, Dhul Qa'dah, and Dhul Hijjah. These three months are the three months of Hajj, the ninth, uh, sorry, the 10th, 11th, and 12th lunar months of the Islamic year. These are the Hajj months, meaning that if someone wants to perform Hajj, they want to go and perform an Umrah that will connect, be connected to their Hajj, these are the months that they go to perform that Umrah in. The Hajj itself begins on the day of the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, and it lasts until the 13th. Those are the five, six days of the main Hajj rites. But before that, people can go and they can perform their Umrah with the intention to then proceed and make the Hajj when the days of Hajj actually begin. That time period that allows for a person to perform the Umrah for the purposes of Hajj, those are the months of Hajj that Allah Azza wa is referring to in this verse. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given people an amount of time which is why, you know, especially today when we see millions of people converging upon Mecca for the Hajj, it is something which is from the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, that it allows people to come weeks beforehand, make their Umrah, spend time there, go to Medina if they wish to do so, and what have you, in order for them to be able to facilitate this amazing act of worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says from the restrictions of Hajj and from the laws regarding Hajj, 
فمن فرض فيهن الحج فلا رفث ولا فسوق ولا جدال في الحج Allah says there should be no indecent speech, misbehavior or quarreling for anyone undertaking the pilgrimage. Meaning that once you've made the intention for Hajj, and likewise for Umrah, there are certain restrictions that apply. For Hajj, because Allah is speaking primarily about Hajj, and that is the major pilgrimage, the acts that take place in the Umrah, all of them also take place in the Hajj. So when we speak about the Hajj, it is more comprehensive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he speaks about the restrictions in the state of Ihram, he says, so once you have made the intention to do Hajj in these months of Hajj, then la rafath. There is no uh, marital relations that are allowed, no indecency that is allowed. And this is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore obligates upon a husband and wife, for example, that are making Hajj together. In the state of Ihram, it is not permissible for them to have marital relations or to do anything which will lead to, which normally leads to marital relations, anything which would uh, bring their desires, their sexual desires about, those things should be abstained from during the period of being in the state of Ihram. And if someone was to fall foul and have marital relations in the state of Ihram before, for example, going to the day of Arafah, it would nullify their Hajj. The Hajj will no longer count, and they must still continue to perform the Hajj and complete it anyway, and then come back the following year and make Hajj all over again. And so it is something which is extremely serious. Wala fusuk, Allah says, nor should there be any sin. That is sin in general, because in the state of Haram, you're in a state of sanctity, coming closer to Allah Azza wa You've come here to seek Allah's forgiveness for your sins. So it's not befitting that in that state of seeking forgiveness for sins, you are still sinning. And likewise from those sins is to break the restrictions of Ihram for no good reason. So someone just disregarding the restrictions of Ihram and pulling out their hair, for example, or cutting their nails or using, applying perfume, whatever it may be, without any valid reason to do so, like forgetfulness or just not knowing or being mistaken, those things also fall under this particular restriction. Nor should Hajj be a time of quarreling, of arguing, of debating, Hajj is a time when you should show patience with others because it is very common in Hajj when people are tired, when people are hot, when people are bothered, that when someone, you know, for example, walks before you in the queue or someone jumps in the queue before you or someone says something or pushes you and it may even be just a genuine mistake. But because of the state that you're in, shaitan will come and he will make it bigger than it was. And you will start to see people arguing and people saying, I want the air conditioning on and I want it off and I want to be this person snoring and that person. And people start to argue about things that are mundane that before and after Hajj would seem trivial. But it's just because people are in that particular uh, bubble and it's hot and so on. And so shaitan comes and he plays with people because he wants those acts of worship not to have any significance, not to mean anything, not to be rewarding, not to be fulfilling. And so Allah warns us again, this Hajj is the time of patience, a time of self-discipline, a time when you show your dedication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your submission to Him. And that is what Allah then says, وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يَعْلَمْهُ اللَّهِ Whatever good you do, Allah is well aware of it. Every moment you show patience in Hajj, every single time that you show some restraint, every time you show, despite how difficult it is for yourself, you help others and you do good and you say a nice word or you smile. Every good that you do, Allah says, no matter how big or small, Allah knows it. And isn't that the beauty of this religion? That even though other people may not appreciate what it is that you're doing or the sacrifices that you're making or how hard it is for you to be patient when other people are behaving around you in a certain way, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And Allah azza wa rewards you for it. And that is why Allah azza wa says, فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ 
provide well for yourselves, but indeed the best provision is the one of taqwa. So the person going for hajj has to take provisions. They take for themselves money, they take with themselves their food and their clothing, they take for themselves other provisions that allow them to go and perform that particular pilgrimage. And from those provisions is the way that they're going to train themselves to behave in terms of their character and in terms of their discipline, in terms of their etiquette with others and so on. And all of these provisions Allah says are important. But remember that the greatest act or the greatest benefit and provision that you can take from the hajj is the benefit and provision of taqwa. That you go to hajj knowing that Allah is the one who ordered you to do so. You are a guest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you've come there to seek your forgiveness. To seek Allah's repentance, to ask Allah to forgive you, to expiate your sins, to increase you in your reward. You have come to ask Allah for everything that you need in this life and the next. And so you do so knowing that Allah is all knowing, all hearing, all seeing, all merciful, all kind, all generous. And you have come to renew that pact and covenant with Allah that you will worship Him in a better way, that you will stay away from sin, that you will try better and harder to be as Allah commands us to be in the Qur'an, a better Muslim. And so when you go with that mindset and you leave with that increased awareness of Allah, that increased mindfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that taqwa and fear of Allah, that is the best thing that you can take away from Hajj. And that is why Allah concludes this verse by saying, And Allah says, So be mindful of me, fear me always, O people of understanding. In verse 198, Allah continues and says, There is no harm upon you to seek bounty from your Lord, Allah says. When you go for Hajj, Allah says there is no harm for you to benefit also in a dunya way, in a worldly way. The Arabs of old, from the olden times, even before the Prophet ﷺ, but during Islam as we know, Hajj has always been a place of trade and commerce. People come from across the world and they converge on this place. So naturally when they are together from different parts of the world, they buy, they sell, they have trade and commerce. Today, there is a massive industry that surrounds Hajj. From hotels to food to transportation to Hajj groups that people go on and so on. All of these things that surround the Hajj. And there are people that are benefiting, they're making their living, they're taking provision and risk from that which Allah has decreed from them during the Hajj. Allah says there is no harm in doing so. No harm in doing so. The people that are working and they're charging for their services, the people that are providing certain services to you or food or products or whatever it may be, and they're charging for that, there is no harm to do so. But remember that this is the secondary, especially if you're going there for Hajj, and at the same time you're doing business as opposed to someone who's not making Hajj, but they live there and they're doing their business. But if you're doing both, then remember that the business part is the secondary part. You're going to worship Allah and to seek His pleasure. And if at the same time you're able to make some money, you're able to trade and do some commerce, then that is also something which Allah says, there is no harm in doing this because it is from the bounty of your Lord. It is from the grace of your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَإِذَا أَفَضْتُمْ مِنْ عَرَفَاتِ But when you leave Arafah, and Arafah therefore, Allah is telling us that it is from the rites of Hajj. That on the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah, as the Prophet did, وسلم, you go to the plain of Arafah and you stay and stand there from the time of Dhuhr or just before, all the way until the sun sets. And you remain in that place, worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal, making dua. 
once you have done so and it is one of the most if not the most important part of hajj allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says then leave from arafah and remember allah at a place called al-mash'al al-haram al-mash'al al-haram is the place that is in muzdalifa and it is a place where you go and you spend the night the night of the evening of the of the of the ninth of the hijjah is spent in muzdalifa up until the morning fajr time and the Prophet ﷺ in the morning would make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he was leaving and proceeding on towards the next station which is Mina. And so these places Allah mentions by name because both of them are important when it comes to the rites of Hajj. The Quraysh in the time of the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to go to Arafah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Mash'ar al-Haram. Al-Mash'ar is part of the Haram. He calls it Al-Haram. And so anything therefore which is before it towards the direction of Mecca is also in the Haram. So Mina is before it and the city of Mecca. Arafah, however, is after the Mash'ar al-Haram, after Muzdalifa. And so therefore it is outside of the Haram boundary. And from the benefits of going to both places in our religion is because when you seek Allah's forgiveness and make dua to Allah to forgive you your sins, you do that outside of the sanctuary that is holy. You do that in Arafah. And inshallah, then when you come into Muzdalifa, back into the Haram, inshallah, you have come back forgiven as the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you return as if it was the day that your mother gave birth to you without sin. However, the Quraysh used to say, we the Quraysh, in the time of the Prophet, they used to say, we the Quraysh, because we're the custodians of Mecca, we don't need to go outside of the Haram. This Arafah place is for everyone else to go. It's for all the other Arabs. As for us, we're special. So this is one of the ways that they had changed and manipulated the religion and the teachings of Ibrahim So when the Prophet came, he showed that it is an integral part of Hajj. He actually said Al-Hajj Arafah, Hajj is Arafah. So once you go to Arafah, then on the next, on the evening you go to Al-Mash'ar Al-Haram, Allah says, remember Allah. وَذْكُرُوهُ كَمَا هَدَاكُمْ And remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you. Remember that Allah gave to you his guidance وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ Even though before that you were from amongst the misguided. Look at the differences between the Hajj of Islam, for example, and the Hajj of the Quraysh before. They would make tawaf naked. They wouldn't go and do certain things or go to certain places. They would have their own weird, strange customs that they would apply to the Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you. He removed from you all of these practices and innovations. And Allah gave to you the pristine teachings that are beloved to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remember this and praise Allah azza wa jal. And that is why the person making hajj is constantly in a state of dhikr. Either they're making the talbiya labayk Allahumma labayk or they're making the takbir Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. Or they're making the different adhkar as they're stoning and saying Allahu Akbar or they're slaughtering. Everything that they're doing is a form of dhikr. And so Allah azza wa jal tells us or the people making hajj to continue with this dhikr. In verse 199, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, ثُمَّ أَفِيضُوا مِنْ حَيْثُ أَفَاضَ النَّاسُ وَاسْتَغْفِرُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ Then surge down when the rest of the people do so, ask forgiveness of Allah, for indeed He is most forgiving and merciful. Meaning after you have finished from al-mash'ar al-haram, then follow the footsteps of your ancestors, your father, your forefather Ibrahim والسلام, and leave from al-mash'ar al-haram and come down because Mecca is a valley. Mecca, the Kaaba is at the bottom of the valley, and all of these places are higher up. So surge down, go the way that the people go, meaning back towards Mina. So you go to Arafah and the ninth, then to Muzdalifa, then you will go to Mina. 
And as you go to Mina, then do on that day, which is now the day of Eid, everyone else is celebrating Eid for the people making Hajj. It is the day of Nahar, the day of sacrifice, the day where they have a number of rites to fulfill. From those rites is that they will go and stone the big Jamara, the big pillar. From those rites is that they will offer the sacrifice. From that rite is that they will offer, they will sacrifice or, uh, sorry, they will shave or trim their hair. And from those rites is that they will make the tawaf and the sa'i. So Allah says, go as the people used to go before you and seek Allah's forgiveness. Because that is the whole point of all of these acts of worship. That you ask Allah for his forgiveness and that you take the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah tells the people of Hajj, essentially therefore in the Quran, the different parts of the Hajj. Allah speaks about the issues of Ihram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks here about the the issues of going to Arafah and Muzdalifah and Mina and a number of the other issues that we've already touched upon in the last episode, for example, of slaughtering and offering the sacrifice and so on. Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse 200, he then continues and he says, فَإِذَا قَضَيْتُمْ مَنَاسِكَكُمْ فَاذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ كَذِكْرِكُمْ آبَاءَكُمْ أَوْ أَشَدَّ ذِكْرًا فَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقَ when you have completed your rites, then remember Allah as much as you remember your own fathers or even more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, once you have finished all of your rites, and obviously the details of all of these rites is found in more detail in the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made hajj and there were approximately 100,000 companions around him. And there were companions who narrated his hajj in explicit detail, such as in the famous hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu in Sahih Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ instructed the companions and he said, Take from me your rights of hajj. So here Allah is saying that once you have completed those rights of hajj, you've finished all of the hajj rights, then continue to remember Allah the way that you would remember your forefathers or even more. And that's because the Quraysh, it is said that after they would make their hajj, they would remember their forefathers and tell stories of their ancestors, or it would remind them of their forefathers, the fact that they too used to make this pilgrimage. Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that your remembrance of Allah should be more. Remember Allah Azza wa Jal constantly and continuously. And it is often the case that sometimes people in times of either happiness or distress, they remember those that are missing from their loved ones. So at momentous occasions in your life, weddings, and graduations and birth of children and so on, you remember, for example, that your parents are no longer here to be part of that occasion, that they can't witness what... And so people have a tendency to remember certain people at certain times. Allah is saying that that is okay, that's a human reaction, it's a human thing to do. For the believers, we should constantly be remembering Allah. The way that we remember Allah during the Hajj isn't something that should finish after Hajj. Just like as it shouldn't finish after Ramadan, shouldn't finish after all of these great acts of worship, we should continuously be in the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ Because there are those who pray and say, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا O oh Allah, give to us the good of this world. وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقِ And they have no portion or share of the hereafter. Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that there are people who only make dua for this dunya. Their dua and the invocation is only for everything in this world. They want money, they want happiness, they want career, they want jobs, they want possessions. That's all their focus is upon. And they have no share of the hereafter, meaning they're either disbelievers or they're people who are completely negligent of the akhirah. Unfortunately, as you see sometimes amongst the Muslims today, because they're so distanced from their religion, rarely in their dua do they make dua for the akhirah, if they make dua. And if they want something or need something, they'll say, 
please God give me this, please God give me that, oh, oh Allah grant me this, but it's always restricted to the dunya. And Allah says that there are people like this. This verse also then shows, as some of the scholars of tafsir mentioned, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does respond to the invocations of even the non-Muslims. Allah is saying subhanahu wa ta'ala that they're saying some of them, oh Allah give to us from this world. And Allah can give to them. He will give to them because this world to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is insignificant. So something which is insignificant, Allah gives to everyone. But the akhirah is only reserved for those whom Allah loves. So Allah only grants it to those whom He loves subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah make us from amongst those people. As for the dunya, it is open. Because Allah doesn't really love the dunya, doesn't care about the dunya, doesn't find it to be significant in terms of who it is given to or not. And that is why the worst of disbelievers has the dunya. And sometimes the best of the mu'mineen has very little of it. And that is why the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam that this world and everything in it in the sight of Allah is equal to the wing of a mosquito. It doesn't matter to Allah Azza wa Jal. And so therefore something which doesn't matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah may give it to those people that even do not believe in Him. But then Allah Azza wa Jal in verse 201, He says, وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ But then there are others, meaning the believers who pray and say, O oh, our Lord, Give to us the best of this world and the best of the hereafter and protect us from the punishment of the fire. That is the dua of the believers. The dua of the believers is number one, that you remember both. They remember their rights and their, and their place in this world. As Allah says elsewhere in the Quran, وَلَا تَنْسَ نَصِيبَكَ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Don't forget your portion of this life. I have a family. I have children. I have responsibilities. I have elderly parents. I have so many things that I have to... I don't forget the dunya. I ask Allah to give me good children, righteous children, wealth that is halal, give to me provision and possessions, and Allah allow me to live a, a life that is good and honorable. We ask Allah for the good of this world. But look at the beauty of this dua. In the previous dua, for the disbelievers, what do they say? Atina fi dunya, Allah, give us the world. What do the believers say? Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana. Oh Allah, don't just give us the world, but give us what is good and beneficial of this world. And that means, number one, what is halal and pure and good. Number two, oh Allah, what you know to be beneficial for me of this world. Because I may consider for me that a great deal of wealth is good. But oh Allah, you know that if I was to have this wealth, it would lead me, lead me to be an oppressor and a transgressor. It would lead me to be arrogant and haughty. It would lead me to oppress others and withhold their rights. So Allah Azza wa Jalla, when I ask you for the dunya, yes, I need it. But oh Allah, you know in your infinite knowledge and wisdom what is good from this dunya for me and what is evil. So Allah, give to me from the good of the dunya. And likewise, وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً And likewise, the best of the next world as well. What is good of the akhirah? وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارَ Save me from the punishment of the fire. This dua, verse 201 of Surah Al-Baqarah, is one of the greatest and most comprehensive duas of the Qur'an that you make this dua. And that is why it is the sunnah to make the dua in certain places. For example, such as in the tawaf itself, is reported that it is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, that when he would make the tawaf from between the Yemeni corner up until the black stone corner, so the last part of every tawaf circuit, the Prophet ﷺ would repeat this dua. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ and it is such a comprehensive dua because it is a dua in which you trust in Allah, show your iman in Allah Azza wa Jal, and submit your affairs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
trusting that Allah will give you what is best in his infinite knowledge and wisdom. And that is why it is said that a man in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he made a dua and he said, from the companions, he said, Oh Allah, if you have stored in for me a punishment in the next life, I would rather you gave it to me in this life. The Prophet ﷺ came to visit him because he became severely ill. And he said to him, did you ask for something? He said, yes, O Messenger of Allah, this is the dua that I made. The Prophet ﷺ said, Subhanallah, how can you even think that you can bear the punishment of Allah in this world? Rather, what you should have said is this dua that we just mentioned, Atina fi dunya rabbana, Atina fi dunya hasana, wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab nar, meaning, O Allah, I want the best of this life and the next, and from the best of this life and the next is Allah's saving me from punishment, Allah's expiation of my sins, Allah's reward, and so on and so forth. And that is why it is mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari in Muslim, the hadith of Aras ibn Malik radiallahu an, when he was asked to describe or asked to mention one of the most common du'as that the Prophet would make. What's the du'a that you often heard him make? Anas radiallahu an mentioned this du'a. And there are other du'as that are mentioned in that same meaning, but this is one of them. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would often say this. Allah Azza wa Jal then says in verse 202, which is the final verse on this page, أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ نَصِيبٌ مِّمَّا كَسَبُوا وَاللَّهُ سَرِيعُ الْحِسَابِ They will have a share of that which they worked for, and Allah is swift in His reckoning and in His judging. Allah Azza wa Jal will give to those people who want a share of only the dunya, He will give it to them. And those who are sincere from the believers and they want the best of both, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will decree the best for both of them. We will take the first verse from uh, page 32 also because it is the final verse that speaks on this passage of Hajj and therefore it is good that we finish these verses together. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 203, Allah says, remember Allah in the appointed days. The appointed days are the days of Mina. The days of the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th of Dhul Hijjah, which is the day of Eid, and the three days that follow after it. These are days, as the Prophet ﷺ described, of eating and drinking and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is the sunnah to constantly make the takbirat on these days. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. Allah Azza wa Jal then says, فَمَنْ تَعَجَّلَ فِي يَوْمَيْنِ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَنْ تَأَخَّرَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ لِمَنِ اتَّقَى Those who leave are in, in a hurry to leave after two days, there is no blame upon them. When a person is making hajj, after the day of Eid, the 11th, 12th, 13th are the days of Mina. On those three days, a person goes and they stone the three different pillars, the Ramul Jamarat, they stone the three pillars with the pebbles. It is obligatory to stay for at least two days, recommended for the third. If after two days someone wants to leave and they're out of Mina before Maghrib, the sun sets on the day of the 12th, it is permissible for them to leave Mina and they don't have to come back on stone on the 13th. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jal says, whoever is in a hurry wants to leave after two days, it is permissible to do so. And that is from the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal because some people have jobs they've got to get back to, they've got family, they have commitments, they just need to leave. And whoever wants to stay behind for the 13th, as the Prophet did in his own hajj, then there is no harm upon them. Upon the condition, that in both cases, you do so out of fear of Allah, meaning that you're not just 
hating to worship Allah, you dislike the worship, you're, you're doing it because you generally have a reason to do so, or it is more convenient, or the, the, the flights that you have booked, for example, in our time or the group that you're with, everyone wants to leave, it is permissible to do so, but you shouldn't do so out of hatred for the religion or out of a dislike for the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then includes this verse by saying, be mindful of Allah, fear Him, and remember that you will be gathered to Him. Meaning that Allah knows what it is that you intend, what you conceal in your hearts. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you to account for not only your actions, but your intentions as well. And with that, we come to the end of today's episode. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم